Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. Welcome, welcome. The slow road to better. Why do we do the slow road to better? Well, we've been lucky where we can talk about it to our our friends, people here at the Stroke Comeback Center, but now then we can tell more people across the world to learn about it. What is the it that we're talking about? Aphasia. Stroke yeah. survivors. Mm-hmm. TBI people. Life moves on. Inspiration. Help listeners. That our inspiration of a bridge of hope. I love it. Trying to help each other a lifeline. Part of it also is we started doing it. It's not because we just wanted to tell everyone to see what happened to us. But also we wanted to get better talking ourselves oh, with the phaser. Sure. And we wanted to, one day, it's not going to, the phaser's not leaving it, but we'd like to crush it a little bit. Let's listen in. Listen in. Does anybody else have questions for Peter? Because I, I have a long list, but I'll shut up. Well, Go ahead. Um, it's the difference of apraxia uh, and aphasia. It's the it's the combination of the two is brutal. Yeah. Um, but it's the McKenzie study yeah. shows the apraxia in the way. It's yeah. it's a uh, interesting to me the breakout the apraxia and aphasia your opinion on that yeah it's a really yeah it's a really tricky question apraxia versus aphasia because we have um um you know we've come up with ways clinically of taking our best guess at where the problem is right and in fact coming up with words and saying them involves lots of steps and the last few which are involved in making the mouth move in the right way when there's a problem in those we call it apraxia but um, um, just like I said before, that cognition and language are not exactly you know, separate in the brain, the stroke doesn't care about which step it's affecting in, in this yeah. process. And so most people, will, many people, will have problems you know, at earlier steps in finding words and, and coming up with them, and later steps of making the mouth move in, in the right way. So the trick for us is that we think the best treatment and the best way to deal with these problems should be different um, because you know it's the problem of coming up with words or even just getting the sounds of the words in the right order in your brain are, it's different than making your mouth move in the right way and so we think the treatment should be different but sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference yeah so I, you know I hope that work like uh, Mackenzie's work on on inner speech uh, will help us because I mean, if we're right about about inner speech, I mean, our our basic hypothesis is that all of you are right when you tell us, <laughs> you whatever you tell us about what's going on in your head, you're basically right. And so, like, <laughs> it's sweet. A, I know, right? So it's a, it's kind of this. I mean, it's funny because when I tell scientists about this, they think we're crazy because, like, why should we trust people who have had strokes? <laughs> and when I tell people who have had strokes about this, they're like, this is so stupid because, of course, we're right. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, but, you know, that's the basic idea is that you're right. And so, if, if that's the case, then then a lot of the answer we can get just by asking you <laughs> what's going on in your heads. Uh, and, um, and it turns out that from uh, everything Mackenzie's done, and there was a, an, uh, an MD-PhD student before her, William Hayward, 
um, who's now a resident at Georgetown, and from his work uh, also in the lab, I mean, it looks it looks to us like it's true that um, that for the most part we can just ask you. Imagine what's happening that. in your head? We prove that you know what's going <laughs> on in your head. It's not. It's not. It's that. not the case for every single person, <laughs> right. but for the vast majority of people that we ask, the information that you're giving us is reliable, and so I think that will help us tease apart a little bit. There's there's other people doing work on this also that that focus on the specific kinds of errors and distortions in the sound, and they you know they go as far as as um, looking at all the frequency information of the sounds that people make to try to uh, tease it apart. Um, I don't know. I think it's a lot easier just to ask people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny, though. I know. Well, the, the inner just speech thing, I should say, I should clarify, though, that so far what we're finding with inner speech is that um, it's not just apraxia, where people say they have the words in their heads, and then when they say it, it comes out wrong. There's one step before that, which is just before you're you're making the mouth, um, programming the movements of, of the mouth, where you have to go from a sound in your head to a plan for the movement. And that step two, that translation, will I, we think also will give people the sense that they hear the right word in their head, but then when they say it, it comes out um, differently. Any other questions? Jerry, you have any questions over there? You. Then my next question is where they're trying to tap into using people's thoughts and sort of bypassing the whole speech output oh, system. Yeah. Do you see that as a viable possibility in the future for people with aphasia? So let me make sure I understand. So I think you're talking about a, a general field that we call brain-machine interface. Uh, is that right? Where where you're imagining a device that sort of reads out a person's yeah, thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Thanks for putting that into something yeah. useful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's more commonly used right now for like make, letting people move robots with their minds uh, when, they, when they're paralyzed. Um, really? But, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that research has been going on for 15 years, and... Yeah, it works. Um, it's not perfect, but it works. Huh. Um, it, okay, so yeah, I think uh, I think there are going to be some people that benefit from that in the future for aphasia um, and for speech and language. And um, I, I think it's pretty. It probably is pretty far off. Um, w- there are early attempts right now to read out sort of the words. Um, that people have in their heads uh, from things like MRI scans or EEGs, um, but it's not uh, certainly not ready to go right now. And I think it's maybe 20 years off before we can do it. And then even then, I'm I, you know I'm not sure how many people it would really apply to. I think the vast majority of people there's going to be better ways of communicating than that. But there's probably a small group that it, that it will help. Um, and those are the people who largely can get to the words in their head. Um, that, that maybe are more locked in. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think in the you know, different things are always going to work for different people, yeah. and so we'll need a lot of different, we'll need a whole menu of options, which, you know, we have to some degree right now, but it's just going to expand and expand over time. What do you wish we had asked you about rehabilitation and sort of the slow road to better for people with aphasia that we didn't ask you yeah (laughs) Yeah. that is a hard question (laughs) what do you wish every survivor knew who really doesn't have access 
Is that All an right. easier question? Is that a better question? Yeah. Okay. Well, so um, the 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 spiel that I give in my clinic um, to people uh, is a sort of good starting point for this. Uh, so uh, the things that I focus on in terms of um, how to help people get uh, get better. The, the first thing that everybody should know, which I know you all know um, in this room, is that speech therapy works. And um, as far as we know, the more the better. Uh, and, um, and for my taste, the secret to speech therapy is finding um, a therapist who has experience with aphasia and who um, y who understands what you want to get out of, uh, of treatment. So that's the first thing. Um, to me, uh, in my clinic, I don't try to get in the way of that relationship between the therapist and the, uh, and the patient because I think usually um, uh, that sort of, that pairing can sort out what the important things are and focus on the, the issues at hand. And we just don't know enough about, you know, the way different kinds of therapies work for different people uh, for me to get in the way and say you should be doing this kind of therapy. So the first thing is therapy works, you know, get as much as you can um, and, um, and find a therapist that you trust and can work with. Uh, second thing is um, physical exercise. So we don't have a lot of good information about this specifically for people with aphasia. Randy could not be happier <laughs> you said that. <laughs> but uh, everything we know about, um, about people who haven't had a stroke, um, people who are uh, aging in the community, is that uh, the best intervention we have to improve thinking, memory, attention is physical exercise and specifically aerobic exercise where you get your heart rate up um, and uh, we don't know if there's a magic amount but if you can do it for 30 minutes a day five times a week that's a good amount awesome. and yeah so that to me is really important um, and we again we don't have a lot of evidence directly in aphasia but I think it has to be good for your brain uh, it's good for your heart too of course um, second is uh, social contacts. So, uh, so many people with aphasia are isolated after their stroke mm -hmm. because it's harder to communicate, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you have a tendency to withdraw uh, mm -hmm. and sometimes to sit at home and do things by yourself, maybe watch TV, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. And um, you really have to resist that urge because it becomes a, um, a vicious cycle where you're at home by yourself, so you're not communicating. So you're, you know, you're not developing strategies to communicate with different kinds of people. So you withdraw more. And, um, and we know that social connections, again, are good for your brain, and people with more social connections um, have stronger cognitive uh, abilities. And, um, and so I think it's really important for people to um, force themselves to get out and, and interact in the community, even if it's hard. And one of the best ways to do that is to schedule regular, um, regular activities. So for instance, coming here once or twice a week is a way to do this. Um, okay, so that's the, the second thing. And that leads to the third thing, which is um, the issue of depression uh, after stroke and in aphasia in particular. So again, we don't have great numbers on this, but uh, I think it's about half of people who have a stroke who have aphasia at some point develop depression. Mm -hmm. And what we would classify as clinical depression, which, you know, which is uh, low mood and low energy that interferes with your daily life. So it gets in the way of 
therapy, it gets in the way of relationships. Maybe you don't eat as much or sleep as much uh, because of it, or of course, or you could have thoughts of hurting yourself um, or other people. And so it's incredibly common after the stroke, and there's two reasons for that. Uh, one is that, of course, it's hard to not be able to do things that you used to be able to do. Uh, you can be isolated after the stroke, and that loss of social contact uh, will uh, will uh, exacerbate depression. And the third is just that the brain injury itself can damage mood regulation centers of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so that direct injury uh, can uh, cause depression or worsen uh, depression. Um, and so uh, the answer for that one is 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 keeping an eye out and maintaining these other things, the exercise and the social activity to combat it. That's number one. Uh, number two is uh, is talking to uh, to people to the extent that you can, uh, finding a th- um, a therapist to work with or a social worker to talk through, um, or if you can't, then you know um, a pastor or somebody that that you can talk to about these problems. And then if we need to, we can use medicines um, to help with awesome. it. Okay. All right. My last question is: I know you are a very strong advocate for empowering survivors to participate in research mm-hmm. for those survivors who aren't right around here who uh, have access to you and your lab and some of the other um, research in this area is there like a clearinghouse of research studies or something that a survivor in Oklahoma could access to find out if there are studies in their area that they could participate in? Sure. Yeah. So I want to back up and say why I'm an advocate okay, for sure. research if Absolutely. you don't mind me saying no. that. Hey, it's your podcast. <laughs> Do what you want. So it may be a little bit self-serving for me to be an advocate for empowering people <laughs> to do research. But but I do think, I mean, w- one thing that I see um, is that uh, stroke takes away of a lot of abilities, right? And so many people can't go back to work. They maybe maybe they can't drive. There's lots of things that you that you can't do uh, after the stroke, and there's very few things that the stroke enables you to do that you couldn't do before. But one of those things is contributing to uh, science. Um, so people who have had a stroke are um, or or a TBI. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> are. Um, uh, can can give us much more information about the brain, how the brain works, how people recover from in, uh, recover from injuries um, than other people. So it allows you to contribute in a way that you couldn't before. And I don't think there's many examples of that after uh, after stroke abilities that that you gain. You, you guys probably can come up with others, but. Um, uh, but it's one that I think is really important, uh, and it gives you a way that you can contribute to society in a way that other people can't. So that's why I, I think it's empowering um, to participate in research. Uh, okay, so uh, how do you find research studies? Um, the, there's a website called clinicaltrials.gov, uh, and that's the best single resource for finding uh, studies. It's a really user-friendly website. It's just a search tab that you... Uh, that you type in so clinicaltrials.gov all just strung together and uh, and you just can search for aphasia or stroke or whatever you want to search for and you can click on show me a map and it'll show you a map of the entire world and you can click on countries you can click on the US 
And then we do have listeners states. all over the world. So that gov. It's run by the U.S. government, but uh, but uh, but especially in Europe and in South America, uh, researchers in those two places uh, and other places as well will list their studies on, at that website. Um, every study that's funded, every clinical trial that's funded by the U.S. government has to be, by law, listed on that website. Um, now, there's other studies that don't show up on that website. Uh, these are studies that aren't technically clinical trials, and uh, sometimes researchers just don't put them up. And the best way to find those is probably to um, uh, contact your local university, look at a website, look for, you know, if you're in Oklahoma, uh, you know, look at, look up aphasia, I don't even know. Is it University of Oklahoma? I don't know. <laughs> I just picked Oklahoma. Because <laughs> yeah. who knows State, what's in Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. And search for that and see what you can find. And, and that's the best way we have uh, right now, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any last questions? I don't think so. Anybody? Good anywhere? job, though. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so for much you. for awesome. joining us. Um, we really, really do appreciate it. If there are any listeners who have questions, you can... Put them on our Facebook page, and we will respond to you. Thank you, Peter, for your time. Turkle Taub. I'm going to get this right. I you thinking through that. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to practice what I preach. I'm going to get it right. That's what happens with aphasia. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Slow down. Some days I think it's contagious. So, All right. So with that, we are going to wrap it up on this episode of The Slow Road to Better. All right. (laughs) Our lawyers made us say this. Disclaimer. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion, is not valid. Well, it is, but it's valid, but I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? There's. Um, they. They. Their doctor. Yes. All right. Yes. So if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask your doctor. Amen.